Hello, podcast family, and welcome back to Eli the Music Guy. This is episode three, and it is a great one. I get a chance to sit down with Daniel Austin from Austin, Texas, a longtime songwriter, musician, and performer, most notably known for his work with the hardcore metal band Die Young from Austin, Texas, and many other groups that he has formed and been a part of, which we talk about in the podcast episode. Also, Daniel is an author in his own right and has multiple books and a novel published. So we talk about his writing career as well as his career as a vegan powerlifter and his history as a vegan and a spokesperson for the vegan movement. It is a long episode, but I hope you enjoy it. With no further ado, here's my guest, Daniel Austin. Eli the Music Guy Daniel Austin, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, sir. Well, I've already talked about you in the intro, but just to oh, give okay. the listeners, a, you know, just a little reminder, you are a longtime musician in the bands Die Young. Tooth and Claw, Will to Live. Am I missing any? Yeah, I had a, a vegan band with some of the guys from Die Young in the years that Die Young was on hiatus uh-huh. uh, called Band of Mercy. And all the songs are like tongue in cheek. That's amazing. Uh, it's it's like a more, more punk, a little more punk sounding, a little less metal sounding than Die yeah. Young. But me singing and all the lyrics were very gung-ho vegan in your face like yes i love that uh i always say it's like if if motorhead was a vegan band that's what okay. the, that's what the goal was and that stuff um and then then i have a little side project that i've done in the last couple of years called mainlander okay. which is like when i take folk or singer songwriter kind of songs and i die youngify them nice so like i've done like um leonard cohen pj harvey uh, I did a I did a Danzig song, but Danzig originally wrote it for Johnny Cash, so it's called Thirteen, and it was a Johnny Cash song, even though Danzig wrote it for Johnny Cash, and then so he it, did his, it went full circle by Danzig, yeah. Johnny Cash to back to you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so uh, yeah, and so um, I, I like taking like more. I guess it's more like my um, Mainlander is just me taking very simple, em- emotive songs. Like yeah. they're, they're always songs that. They're heavy, and this is what I like about folk music. As I get older, it's like, yeah, just the the lyrical aspect, the conceptual, mm-hmm. metaphorical aspect, like how heavy the words are. The, like when I was young, I'm writing heavy music because yeah. I just want the music. Yeah, the the aggression and the sound of the music spoke to me. As, as I get older, the the heaviness and the implication of of words is. Yeah, resonates with me a lot more. So that's what Mainlander yeah. kind of focused on. But not many people know about that one because you know I don't play shows with it. All um, right. Do you have released material with that? Yeah, it's on Spotify and Apple oh, cool. and all that. It's on Bandcamp. Um, right, I'll put all those links in there just so people yeah, can check it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really proud of the way it sounds. I'll probably keep doing some projects with it. Um, yeah. But it's not. It's my least ambitious thing. Okay. Well, um, you know, it's good yeah. to have things you're not overly ambitious about. Cause yeah, you know, it, it's, we- it's weird when I was recording, um, those songs with my friend 
in his studio, he was like, isn't it weird to just make something because you want to make it? And it's not like, right. on a, it's not on a timeline. It's not by yeah. a contract. It's not. And so I was like, yeah, I just feel like I have to do this because it's something I have an inclination to do. And that's kind right. of like when you're young and before you get all the ambition involved of, I want to go on tour and I want to put out records and I got to sign, I got to get a, a record deal and I got to. Sure. Um, it's just like, you know, I paid for all this stuff with my own money to put yeah. the mainlander stuff out. And and then I just like to listen to it. It I, takes a lot of that yeah. pressure away of like, it has to be perfect. It has to be well, the thing I, that I, takes me there. No, I still, I, I still want it to be perfect because it's still my my art. But uh, Sure. But I'm perfect in like the... um the commercial success way of like, Oh, this oh, has to be yeah. my vehicle to take me to the top. Right. And you know, I never, in all those years I was touring and die young, um, in my twenties, I, <laughs> it's weird. Cause I devoted my life to it. Yeah. You know, I sure. had this, I had this girlfriend at like the first half of my twenties when I was doing yeah. die young. And she was like, you're married to your band. And I would be like, yeah, yeah. Am. you're definitely second. <laughs> I, was, I mean, you know, I was a jerk like that, but I mean, it was, uh, the, I, I it was, it, it was my obsession, you know, yeah. to, to, to make that music and to, to live my life that way. And, yeah. um, and now it's just like, you know, I just like to make music for the fun of it. Cause right. I, I lived that life for a long time and I burned out and, yeah. and now it's just, I've tried to walk away from music multiple times but i always find myself like oh i still have this itch to make a song or even yeah. with this mainlander thing it's other people's songs but i give my flavor to it um, right and, and i find that that's fun too that is so fun i mean like so i'm you know a musician down here in hatteras mm -hmm. you know what hatteras is like it's a tourist population yeah and tourists like to hear what they like to hear and they like yeah. to hear some of my original stuff don't get me wrong yeah let's sneak it in there but most yeah. of all, it's like, you know, uh, and I'm not, I'm not a boat music guy. I just can't get down with all that. <laughs> but I love playing other people's stuff and giving it my interpretation of it. Cause it's yeah, like, it's fun, man. Uh, songs are living things, you know, they're like, sure. it's not a cover song. It's, it's your song when you're playing it, you know? <laughs> totally. I mean, I would challenge anybody, um, listen to the original version of PJ Harvey's to bring you my love and then listen to my mainlander version of it and be like, is that have even to, the same song? You know what I mean? All right. I might have to cut in right here and just do a like 20 second comparison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. But yeah. So on the, uh, that kind of segued into not only have you been a musician, writer, touring, all this stuff for, for years, but you are vegan and you've been vegan for, well, since you were 22. I don't know if you want to tell people how old you are yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning 40 this year. So wow, congratulations. Uh, seven, 17 years vegan. And I was, uh, prior to that, you know, I was 15, I got into punk and hardcore music and that's sure. what exposed me to, well, I always like to give my mom credit. She's been a vegetarian since before I was born. Yeah. And uh, my dad and I gave her a hard time growing up. And my dad and my mom didn't stay together very long. Sure. Uh, but so, you know, when I visit my dad, it's like meat, hamburgers, bloody bread, <laughs> you know. I know your dad. He, yeah, comes, yeah, yeah. And he he's actually, he's come a long way. He's gotten a lot more open-minded to my stuff. Sure. But he was worried that I was going to be this shriveled up, mineral deficient, <laughs> right. vegetarian, vegan teenager. The classic, you know. Uh, right. You know, and yellow he, skin tofu eater. Yeah, he... His intention was to care for me. He just didn't know anything about nutrition. And granted, I didn't either in the right. early days, right? So 
Um, I did, I did uh, when I went vegan get like skinny fat. I kind of yeah, lost yeah. some muscle mass, and because people don't realize how many calories and fat, you just get calorie deficient if yeah. you're not eating. If you're not, if you don't know how to balance your diet, you know. Yeah. Now, obviously, going on uh, 17, 18 years into this vegan thing, I've I've learned. Right. And we'll probably talk about this. I've written a couple books about yeah. vegan sports nutrition, and I win national medals in powerlifting. It's Hell like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you, you can, <laughs> you can, you can balance all that to your advantage just right. fine if you know. Right. But when I was a kid, I didn't know, and, and my course. dad didn't know, and my mom didn't know, right. and um, because my mom's like four foot 11, 98 pounds. Like she doesn't have to eat much to survive. Right. Um, to be a, a dude for her. Yeah. She's just like, you know, she could eat some fruit and nuts and she would be fine. Yeah. Cause it's enough calories to run a, a small body like that. But yeah. uh, if you're trying to be a, a really brawn jacked sure. athlete of some kind, you got to eat. It's, it's simple math. It really. Yeah. Is. It really <laughs> is. I would tell people it's like in a, any other economy, it's like, you got to meet the, the numerical demands. And, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, so I've been vegan, I guess getting close to two decades now. And I was, um, from like 15 to 22, I was mostly vegetarian, but a, a pescatarian and, uh, yeah. yeah, like, like a lazy vegetarian. Basically. Sure. You kind of like, uh, you, you slouched your way into veganism in a way. Just like, yeah. Oh, well, I guess, you know, it's, it's you a, know, when I was 15 and I met, I started going to har- hardcore and punk shows. I had friends who were vegan mm-hmm. at the time. And they were a little older than me. And we would go eat at vegan restaurants in Houston, where I was from. And I always loved it. It's just I didn't know how to like – even my with my mom being vegetarian, we had dairy and eggs in the house and stuff. It's like I, I didn't really know how to make everything vegan all the right. time as, as a young kid, especially because I never really knew how to cook or anything. So um, I you know, I ate my mom's food and and she would – and maybe some of it would even be predominantly vegan, uh, but we weren't super conscious of that. And even when my um, mom, when I told her that I was going vegan in 2005, she was like, oh, no, that's a little too extreme, you know? I was doing it completely for ethical reasons. Sure. Uh, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know anything about nutrition or, or health or balancing right. my diet. I just thought I saw some veal calf videos and I was like, I can't yeah. I just – dairy and meat industry are really the same thing so i just yeah, thought totally. i can't can't do it anymore and my mom was like yeah i sympathize but she she didn't know enough about nutrition either and right so she thought it was going to be extreme and then she ended up going vegan shortly after and she's been vegan ever since too that's awesome yeah and my sister and wow. and my girlfriend at the time back then yeah um that's a and, hard one you know the partnership thing is like cuz we'll just go ahead and Trigger warning for any of the listeners. We're going to talk a lot about veganism because I'm <laughs> revealing for the first time on the podcast, I am vegan. Yeah, you came out yeah. of the closet. <laughs> By the way, I'm vegan. <laughs> um, but like the intimate partnership thing can be really tough. If, if Well, the cool thing, it was that was a when I decided to go vegan in 2005, um, I had come home from a tour in Mexico with Da Young where I was the only vegetarian in the band at the time. Okay. Um, because, you know, people have associated Die Young with being like a vegan straight edge band, but we've had a lot of, I'm the only OG guy. Okay. I'm the only guy that's been there since the beginning for right. every show, you know, and for every recording and all that. And I've always been straight edge and then I was vegetarian and then I went vegan a few years into the band. 
Mm-hmm. And so then people just kind of associate Die Young as being this vegan straight edge kind of band. Sure. But a lot of the guys in the band are anything but, you know. Right, uh, right. And, and, you know, we've had over probably like 30 members in the course of uh, 20 years. Wow. And, and, um, and most of them are not vegan straight edge at all. Uh, but I was on tour in Mexico and I was the only – person that wasn't eating meat in the band at the time and so yeah, how, how challenging is that you know being well, on tour at that time in the, in the history well mexico's food. always actually had a pretty cool like grassroots like vegan vegetarian movement and sometimes it's maybe you have to go to the krishna temple right or, or uh, uh you know and those people are the ones that look out for you and there's a there's a big overlap between Hare krishna and hardcore also i don't know if you're aware of that so, i was not aware of that but yeah 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 I especially need to from find like, some overlaps now yeah yeah in like new york city in the 80s there's uh, yeah. uh bands like Cro-Mags that were into Hare krishna that you know members of that band are still vegan vegetarian to this day and then they were, they inspired bands like 108 who were straight up like all their songs were about krishna consciousness and wow bands like shelter who were members of uh youth of today who um, were a straight edge vegetarian band who became basically like a bunch of yogis. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they're still like, you know, those dudes are in super good shape and they still bring That's it awesome. like in their fifties, you know what I mean? Wow. So uh, yeah. So anyway, there's a big history with that. And um, in you would eat, even in Texas, even in Mexico, if you go to eat at the Krishna buffet, which is mostly vegan, yeah. uh, which we would do with the, in the hardcore scene, um, they would, they, even the, the Krishna people would come, sell like $5 plates of food outside shows. That's awesome. And you know, everybody, whether they were vegan, vegetarian in the scene or not. Yeah. Um, they would love that. food. I bet it was outstanding food. Oh yeah. It's always outstanding. I mean, uh, so, um, yeah, like even going into Mexico, it's like, there's that thread of the scene that those people are into that consciousness and they have that kind of diet and they'll be at the show and they'll make sure you get, they were like, Hey, we heard you're vegetarian. You want to come to our, well, we brought you this food and it's like, okay, awesome. Um, but after, after that tour I did, because I remember a lot of times people were coming up to me, feeding me, getting me catering, but it all had dairy. So for like a full week I had dairy, dairy, dairy. And I remember getting home and just being maybe the most constipated I've ever been in my life. It's awful. And at the same time, my, my girlfriend at the time, her and my mom had gone to see Ingrid New, Newkirk speak in Houston. Oh, cool. Who she's the, the head of PETA. Right. Um, and, and contrary to what people think about her and PETA, it's like she had a lot of very sobering things to say about, right. you know, about how to um, talk to people about sure. these issues and stuff. And, and my mom was then on the fence like, yeah, I think we need to go vegan. And my girlfriend was like, I'm, I'm 100% vegan. So I came back from Mexico and they had just been to that. And my mm-hmm. girlfriend was like, you know, I'm ready to do this. And I was like, you know what? For my own internal reasons at the moment, I was like, yeah. I'm ready too. I th- it was like I had a cheese binge. Right. And then I was like, you know what? I'm I'm done with it. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like I've known the ethical arguments for years now. And actually mm-hmm. I'm feeling the pain of eating yeah. cheese every day. So uh, that's when we went. We went vegan together. Oh, sweet. Uh, like w- when she picked me up from the airport. That makes a whole difference. If you can have yeah. some kind of companion yeah. in the in the journey. Yeah. Like for me, it was my sister. We both decided like right around like almost the day COVID happened. We were just like, eh, let's fucking go vegan. <laughs> I don't know nice. what. It nice. seemed like the right. For me, it was like, nice. um, you know, I could put together all the arguments uh, 
for the most part. Like, okay, environmentally, totally checks out. Uh, Health-wise, makes complete sense to me. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I actually started stopped eating things like you know cheese eggs whatever i was never really a big meat eater but um as soon as like i cut them out and actually practiced not eating them it was like oh the blanket of cognitive bias just like left my brain i was like okay this is really messed up to like yeah because we don't need it at all because we we literally don't need it at all Um, right and i was like oh okay it's like and i'm also not dying i'm feeling better than i ever have right I, you know, I was, yeah. I had the happy accident also of, um, so in, into 2005, Dai Young, um, was working on a record deal and, uh, for a bigger label and to do a full length and our tours were going so well, relatively speaking for a DIY hardcore band. Sure. Um, they were going relatively well enough that we were like, we think we make enough money per night that we could quit our jobs next year and just tour. Oh Yeah. And, uh, so we were getting ready for like the turn of the new year, Mm -hmm. um, to quit our jobs and just go on tour. Uh, 2006 was going to be our year to just do 200 plus shows, go to different countries. And I, I went vegan around the same time, but I remember on that Mexico trip, I was dealing with like sinus infection Yeah, and it was, uh, you you know, when you can't breathe well, you strain your voice more, your vocal cords more to, to project. Yeah. And I was really struggling. I remember I was keeping a journal on tour and I remember riding on a a bus from like Guadalajara to Mexico city overnight about, man, will I be able to physically live this lifestyle? Because I feel like, you know, I'm losing my voice. I'm sick, like this lifestyle. And what I didn't realize was, is this eating dairy all the time (laughs) was making me struggle harder as a vocalist. Right. Because what happened was I go vegan in November, 2005. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I remember being almost a year later in uh, Florida recording that full length that we'd we'd gotten the, yeah. the deal for. We were Which we, nobody's we, ever recorded an album, and you're a lead singer of a of a band, and it's vocal day. You, you know how much time you have to spend in front of the microphone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and well, in a in a band where you I scream, I don't sing, you know. Um, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't really do it for more than a couple of hours. So, uh, you get splitting headaches from screaming too much. And, and uh, so you got to split up your sessions. Like I would do a song or two per day while the, right. between bass and between guitar. And once we had well, the, the point, drums, you know, the point yeah. being vocal health is everything to you. Yeah. <laughs> but what I realized was, you know, it'd been almost a year since I'd wrote that journal entry in Mexico where I was struggling with yeah. my health. And I'd gone vegan about a year before, and I realized I hadn't had to go to the ear, nose, throat doctor right. at all in 2006. And yeah. I had not struggled the same way on tour. Yeah. And, um, Which and I realized like- you're screaming every night for two yeah, hours it, straight. It, it, it was a happy accident where I realized, oh, my sinus infections, I haven't had them this year. Right coincidence right what's the correlation yeah so and then you know we toured full-time for a few years um and you know i you know the vocal cords like a muscle it's it's like you can go out in the first week and you can blow it out and then you feel from it and then you're conditioned and then for two months straight i can nail it you know yeah um it is that three weeks at home that would 
I'd have yeah. to read, readjust when I get back on the road. But it's a stretch. You know, you got to stretch it. It's like yeah. every day is like a little yoga exercise for your. Yeah. So uh, I, I realized that the dairy had been uh, complicated. And not only that, I used to, I never was a workout dude back then, but I remember going home, living in Houston. Houston is a really humid, uh, smoggy place. And yeah. it's got some of the worst air quality in America. And I used to run in this park behind my apartment and I used to not back, back in like 2005. I remember when I was getting those sinus infections, the drainage when I would be running and um, exacerbating my, my respiratory system, I would start hacking up phlegm and I would have to stop running. Wow. 2006, I go, I'm running, you know, eight miles, whatever. And I'm like, like, wow, this 2006 must be a good year for smog yeah, in I'm Houston, not, you know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> hacking things up anymore. Right. And I had, it's like, oh, physically, in every way, on stage and yeah. on a track, I was performing better. Yeah. So uh, I always credit, you know, I made the, the decision to be vegan for ethical yeah. reasons. Right. But I had these happy health accidents of being able to breathe better and not having to go to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't go back to the ENT for nine years. So wow. in like 2014 uh, or 15, I had to go back. I got, I had been traveling internationally and uh, I think what, I think what it was, I remember being in Costa Rica and like swimming in some really cold water at like a waterfall. Yeah. And I went home and I started to have like pre bronchitis. Mm. So I went back to that same doctor that uh, I hadn't seen since before I went vegan, who I used to go see every three or four months, and they gave me antibiotics that weakened my immune sure. system. <laughs> it fixed the problem immediately, but it caused longer-term problems. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was like, hey, I remember you. Where have you been all these years? <laughs> and I go, hey, man, in late 05, I went vegan. Yeah. And then I just stopped having sinus infections. And he was like, <laughs> Man, I'm really sorry because back then we it was didn't inconceivable. We didn't ask people about their diet. Now we sure. do. And I've for for several years now, it's been more common that, you know, in our practice, in our field, we, yeah. we say, Do you are you like what foods are you allergic to? Do you eat a lot of dairy? And you know, the consciousness of that that industry and that field has has changed. Right. Um, and he was like, Yeah, now I advise people to lay off of it. Whereas back then that was kind of a quack idea. Yeah, totally. And and I'm like, yeah, man, I, I live the proof. Like it, it changed my ability to be a vocalist, to travel, to yeah, um, to even um, exercise. Yeah, so, that's incredible. And it's it's also a little bit incredibly disheartening to think about all the issues people have probably had in the past that could have been stopped a long oh, time ago. Dude, I was going for years. <laughs> uh, you know, having to hit that insurance deductible. Right. You know, spend a lot of my own money before a lot of the things were covered. And then they were putting me on antibiotics two right. or three that times a year. Tear your body up and yeah. Yeah. And that tears your gut biome up and, yeah. and and it just weakens your natural immunity. And I'm not saying we, you know, should never take antibiotics. Sometimes sure. you, sometimes you have to. Yeah. Um, but you should avoid them as much as you can. Right. So uh I and and back then the mode was not it's like right. put him on some more. Yeah, and it wasn't help. It didn't help me overall. It just fixed right. mo it fixed the problem for like two three weeks at a time. Sure. And so yeah, uh, 
know, veganism is not a cure-all for all things health, but it can really help Absolutely. a lot of things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thanks for giving me the whole rundown of how you got yeah. into that because that's it gives a lot of context. But So let's dive all the way back, probably pre-veganism and all that stuff. What got you into music? What was your first, you know, Ooh. you know, stream entry for you? Well, I mean, I remember <laughs> in in elementary school, I loved MC Hammer. Who didn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the baggy pants and yeah. the, da- the dance. Da, 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 can't, you can't da, da, touch this. Da, da, yeah. Da, da, no, I, I, I think I did like a talent show in like first grade where I danced to it might not might not have been MC Hammer. I think I did a, a young MC song. Wow. But I tried to dance like MC Shouts Hammer. Shouts out young to MC it. wherever yeah. you're at. Get on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there, that was that's my earliest um recollection of music that I I fell in love with. Uh-huh. Um, which is funny now because I don't get the same connection. It's it's kind of like a comic novelty now. Like yeah. but um uh later in elementary school, probably like third, fourth grade, I remember I loved Jesus Jones. Nice. I, I, like right here, right now. It's like, you know how you just have that when when you when you encounter your favorite song at whatever point in your life, yeah. there's no real reason. It's almost like seeing someone that you develop a crush on just for the way they look. You're just like, I don't know why. Yeah, things are happening and this is I'm just, just gonna ride the river. Yeah, I just this know? makes me feel a certain way. Yeah. So um I remember it might have been third or fourth grade when that song was a big popular song. And I remember I got the Jesus Jones album Doubt on tape. And then they got a little more aggressive with uh, the second album they did, which was called Perverse. And I remember seeing them on the Arsenio Hall show and it was like, <laughs> they, they rock so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> those, though, and I would give them credit for making me really like rock music. Sure. I, um, but you know, then, then like fifth grade, I remember it was, it was the grunge revolution. It was, yeah, you came up uh, at a good time for that. Yeah. I was, I was super into, uh, I remember smashing pumpkin Siamese dream. Oh yeah. Uh, that song today when that came out and I saw that oh my uh, music video with the ice cream truck. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Um, and then it was like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and even a little Green Day. Like that's when Dookie oh, yeah. came out. Yeah, Dookie's a great album. Um, you know, and it's weird because I didn't understand that as punk. Right. It was so commercial that I you didn't get the the subculture vibes from it. Sure, like where or, they came from and right. why they it, set out doing it. And, and even and then I would say sixth grade, it was Offspring Smash. You know, oh, like yeah. come out and play. That was my jam. Uh, and, and that was actually the first big rock concert I ever went to. Uh, I got to see my best friend, RJ, who was a drummer in Die Young. Um, nice. We, his dad was best friends with this guy, Jerry Gaskell, who played in a big Houston band called King's X. Okay. King's X is a really interesting band because they, they blend kind of like alternative rock, metal, and like gospel, like Doug Pinnock, the singer, who comes from... You know, I love it already. Yeah, um, <laughs> they, you know they've got some some real jams. Uh, they're kind of like a musicians band. Like people, they never made like big commercial success, even though they were on big labels like Atlantic and all that. Wow! But they they blended a lot of different musical traditions. They're in a very talented band, and so RJ's dad happened to be best friends with Jerry, who was the drummer of Kings X. 
who had the hookup for all the big concerts in Houston. And, um, and so RJ's dad was like, Hey Jerry, you know, the boys, uh, RJ and his friend, Daniel, like they're obsessed with the offspring. Can you get them backstage passes to that? No way. To that tour. Uh, it was the offspring quicksand who, um, quicksand back to like New York hardcore. It's like, they were members of bands like gorilla biscuits and that started that, kind of like the whole like straight edge uh, thing in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, Gorilla Biscuits, another band, uh, vegan members singing about animal rights. Nice. Um, uh, but Quicksand was like their post hardcore band where it's a little more groovy rock and uh, Quicksand right, still a little, plays a little smoothed out. Yeah. They just put out an album last year and it's really good. Oh um, wow. Yeah. So that's a band to check out. But, uh, and it was a uh, no use for a name who was a big like fat records punk band also. I think um, I've heard so, of them. Yeah, I mean uh, the singer died uh, probably like ten years ago or something like that. But um, no use for a name was like that big era of uh, you know fat records, which is owned by Fat Mike of No Effects. Like, right. That I was that a kind huge of punk. No Effects kid growing up. I yeah, was, yeah. So but, uh, you know bands like No Use it. for Name, Lag Wagon, Strung Out, all that. Oh like, yeah. So. Um, a lot of surf punk, a lot of skate punk stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it was that was the show, and I was like eleven or twelve years old. RJ and I, and we got to go backstage. And Dexter Holland wasn't back there. I think it was just too too much. Like people were just, but all the other dudes in Offspring were super cool. We like to, got to go in their dressing room, and they signed. I had a copy of Ignition, which was like the pre. LP of uh to smash like before they got to be a really big band yeah. and they everyone but the singer signed it for me uh, I still have it oh sweet that's um, epic man yeah and then the dudes from quicksand were like just like nobody was <laughs> trying to go into their room and so like hey dudes like uh like we were like the youngest kids back there so and we were there with like RJ's dad and Jerry from King's X and and uh, they were like, hey, yeah, you, we got some like chips and salsa if you want to come hang out in here. And then, you know, it's really <laughs> weird because I didn't, I didn't know their history in the hardcore scene. I mean, uh, Sergio from um, Quicksand, the bass player, he went on to be Deftones bass player for a long time. Wow. Incredible. So like there's like – we were just 11 years old sitting in a room with these dudes and they're like, how would yeah. you like this show? Like what's your favorite band? Like – you know, they were just so cool. You never put like, those things together until it's like looking back. You're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, once I get into hardcore, like five years later, and I start to realize who these people were, but also how yeah. cool and like humble they were and just open to just, and that's one thing I've always loved about the DIY hardcore and punk scene. It's like, there's no rock yeah. star attitude. Yeah. I don't think and, people and, realize and, how the back yeah. side of that is actually incredibly delicate and yeah. Yeah. So that was a really cool experience being young, but um, but yeah, that's that's where uh, and from there, you know, I just got more into in middle school. I got more into aggressive music. Uh, yeah, uh, Deftones was a band that I got into. I was into bands like Nine Inch Nails and Deftones and and things like that. Oh, yeah. But but later on, like eighth grade, I heard this band that was touring on um, Ozfest called Earth Crisis, who is okay. The flagship vegan straight edge, like radical vegan band of the nineties. And they picked um, the they, right name. Yeah. And um I think to this day, I mean, more than anybody else, they they inspired a whole wave of activism and veganism and 
And uh, that was that was eighth grade when I heard them. And then by ninth grade, I had a band where I was playing guitar. It was my first band okay. called Fire. So guitar Fire was Truth. the first thing you picked up. Yeah, my dad bought me a guitar when I was 11 in fifth grade. And I was learning like Nirvana songs and Stone Temple Pilots songs. And then nice. by, uh, by eighth grade, when I'm hearing, I'm more into metal, you know, and I'm listening to like Metallica and Slayer. And, uh, but then Earth Crisis is this mix of all that aggression of metal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can hear my dog licking himself, but I don't want to. Hey, it's it's not really bleeding in. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, I saw this video of Earth Crisis on the Ozfest, and uh, they have X's on their hands, and they're dressed in like camo. They just look like dudes that will fuck you up. But then when you read the lyrics, it's all about compassion for animals and the environment, right? And like fighting, like and they and they they sing a lot about the stories of. liberation movements whether it's they could be singing about the black panthers or they could be singing about the alf or or things like that and um so uh they there was just this mystique of like man these guys are on some other wavelength this is so interesting and and as like a 14 15 year old kid it's like you're kind of like things that are are more radical yeah they're kind of mystical and you just you know so i got their records and that's when i went vegetarian Nice. Uh, it was I got that was an immediate like yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, and you know so and and talking about going full circle, it's like now uh, Tooth and Claw. I'm in a band with the guitarist of Earth Crisis. Amazing! Wow. So it's like it's really it's really wild for me. That's cool. Grew up. They changed my life, and then that dude back in 2020 emailed me and was like, "Hey, you want to start this band?" Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, like we don't, we we still haven't played a show. We put out a record, but um, we, and we've made like a music video and stuff. But yeah, um, uh, it's it's interesting, you know, to, to like work with your music. I got the opportunity to work with my uh, music hero, and not just him. There's uh, Jimmy, who's um, the guitar, another guitarist in the band. He's he played in a great vegan band uh, from the 2000s yeah. called Undying, North Carolina-based band. Yeah, actually. heard of them. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I, I grew up. Uh, I remember in college, I got an Undying record, and it's still one of my favorite records. You know, so um, working working on this band with them is just like, I mean, they're dudes. They're just they're people. You know, you know what I mean? They're not. Right. And, exactly. and this is kind of like back to that being in that dressing room with quicksand. It's like, oh yeah, you guys are just normal people. It's really nice to know that you can make great music and you can be something in the world, but you still treat people like you should, you know? And, and that, that, that's the experience. Yeah. And I think that's the yeah. thing that mainstream, you know, not just underground hardcore needs to like really wrap their heads and hearts around is that rock stars are not a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. If you ask me that we should elevate people to this level that they can't come down from. In order to just be human, yeah. And to I, I think that's tricky like, though, because there's a tipping point, and I'm yeah. going to play devil's advocate here. Because Go ahead, please. Do. If you've ever, if you, I mean, like I've never had such a degree of success with my music or my art or anything that I can't even go out in public without people f- stalking me. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Whereas, um, for example, Henry Rollins or something. Yeah, like I mean, we could pick out almost anybody who who made a big name for themselves and and 
to try to open up with a stranger, like you can, you can go be nice and you got to try to keep it surface level because some people will just punish you. Some people will try to get more from you than you have time or energy to give. Totally. And if you're somebody that's so visible everywhere you go and everybody wants that piece of you, like you, I can't blame a person for running out of steam. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so like for Dexter Holland, not being in the dressing room when there was like 50 strangers in there and all wanting autographs and shit. Uh, I was a little bummed as an 11 year old. Of course. (laughs) Being older and wiser, I'm like, yeah, he probably just can't, can't do it. uh, Yeah. Well, you know, I think it is that it's that delicate balance of like the machine that is the music industry that that creates that large thing, which is mm-hmm. beautiful because it's how you and I have discovered so many common threads that brought us to right, music, right. right? But it's right. also the same machine that takes the humanity from the person and their ability to just walk down the street and have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, strangely, and this is like me, I'm not even trying to drop names or anything, but... Um, you're not so, going to be, uh, unless this podcast goes. No, this is this is just something that I, I heard about when I was younger. Being friends with RJ and his dad was friends with Jerry from Kings X, and yeah. Jerry and them were friends with the Pantera dudes, oh, and nice. the Pearl Jam dudes. Oh wow! Yeah, and and so they're Jerry's kids who who RJ and I would jam with because they they were musicians too. Um, right. They were only like I think. One of his sons was our age, and then one was a few years older, and he was like the really good drummer. But like, they would talk about hanging out with the dudes like Phil from Pantera, or or Eddie from Pearl Jam, and the, the those dudes really treated them because they were kids, and like, there's this pure thing like, oh, like the kids don't really know, yeah, like what what I like what people think of me. Sure. It's almost like a. It's almost like kids are innocent like dogs. It's like they just they, yeah. they'll love you if you're nice, you know, like you're good to them. They haven't been they haven't been tainted to know what fame is and what you're yeah, supposed to Yeah, and business you know. and all that and yeah, and compromise yeah. and trade-off and like the uh diabolical side of handshakes, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And so um I remember them saying that like it might have been Phil from Pantera who is a pretty controversial person. Um sure. but and but they saw this side, people. yeah. But they saw this side of him that was like really sensitive, and and he he had to guard himself a lot. And and mm-hmm. um, I remember hearing about that when I was younger from them, and just thinking, oh, that's really interesting because you you just you don't realize that there is a price to fame. Like where he actually yes. had, they they said it was like trust issues. Like he just didn't want a lot of people around because you just don't yeah. know what they're trying to get from you, right? And you and there's like this this feeling of being alone because you think people want you for what you are, not who you are. So yeah, I try to keep that in mind uh, whenever people come up with stories about how their hero was disappointing. Right. I'm like, yeah, they're a person, man. Like they just, it's a lot to uh, deal with. Yeah, man. I was at a show recently in the mountains of North Carolina. It was a little tiny festival. It was beautiful, and one of the headliners was a band called. Hey guys, I removed this band name from the podcast just to preserve their privacy. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, they're lovely. <laughs> they got amazing discography and they've been around a long time. Um, so, they're the headliners on this Friday night festival. And first thing, the the lead singer comes out alone, which is cool. I'm into that. You know, he comes out with his guitar and 
going to do a little intimate thing before the band comes out. But he just completely fell on his, like not literally, but fell on his face metaphorically. Like one of his most popular songs, he's forgetting the words, he's forgetting the chords. He's just beating himself up. He's like screaming fuck into the microphone. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm here for it. Like, yeah, yeah. I mess up all the time, but um, I could just tell he was completely kicking the crap out of himself. And then that kind of set the stage for like the rest of the night. And it ended up being this whole, you know, like he would just miss a note and then just like scream at himself and the band and like everyone's just trying to like lift him up. It's clear he was going through some mental issues, you know, some mental difficulties that night, whether it's that night or whether it had been a long time. But the truth was everybody was there to see this rock star band and they wanted the the hits, you know, Mm. and it's like, at what point do we just say like, hey, it's okay, man, you can go like. You can go. Like, we, we, can we release you to just go take care of your mental health right now? Because it's not that important that we hear that song we've heard 50 times already. You know, it's like, it just doesn't seem like, I, I get there's, you know, there's contracts and there's all these very masculine energy things. It's like, we got to do the thing. We got to mm-hmm. progress and all these things. But I think it needs equal balance of like delicacy and, and yeah. like conversation you know, at least. That is a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. P- p- people think that it's like, oh, if you've got some hits and you're successful, that your life's good and easy. But right, there's a lot of you pressure. just tra- you just trade problems to like they just become a little bit more uh, your your pro- your problems dress up nicer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and really, there's that whole thing of focus and intentionality. Of if you become too conscious of your intentions, you can't really perform. Sure. You know. Um, and you're conscious of how what people want from you. Yeah, you know, it's it's really to perform. Uh, you know, and I could say this from being on stage, yeah. from recording, or from being on a platform, powerlifting. Yeah. When you're too conscious, you ruin it. Right. And and if it's important, why shouldn't you be too conscious? Right. So it's like this really tricky balance. Yeah, it's that, almost like it's it's the identity of like what what is the thing that's being conscious? Is it your ego that's conscious of it? Because if that's the case, it's going to be really hinging on like the success or whatever you pin as the success, you know, it's like, if I miss Mm -hmm. this chord, then I am a fucking failure. But if it's your simple, you know, awareness and clean consciousness of like, I'm just here doing this thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, mistakes don't really matter because we're just on a planet spinning, right? You know, right. You can well, find that place. It's and there's nice. this synergistic thing that happens. Like, if a band, for example, when Dai Young would be on tour yeah. for two months at a time and we were enjoying it, which we right. didn't always enjoy it, yeah. <laughs> but there were times where it was just like everything synced up and we were like, we're on fire. Right. We are fucking this shit up. We know we're good. Yeah. And you don't doubt. There's no, there's no consciousness. There's no doubt. It's that you tune out and things are just firing like they're supposed yeah. to be. And then there's the times where like, hey, dudes, like, why is this? What's up with you tonight? Yeah. You know? Uh, and that Which kind makes of, it really hard as a solo act, I just want to say. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> because when you have to say, hey, dude, what's up with you tonight? And it's yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I give uh, lectures about this vegan meathead yeah. strength diet stuff that I do. And um, 
some nights, uh, my jokes, I, I like to keep it fun and I, I try to make jokes and, yeah. um, not be the serious vegan. Right. Don't fulfill, you know, some, don't step some, right into I, the I mean, stereotypes. I, but. I have a, I have a soft spot for comedians cause it's like, I try to incorporate a little bit of that into my speaking cause yeah. I don't want it to be too academic right. or procedural. Uh, I think I that people- stand-up comedians are like the, uh, like the mystics of our time. Well, man, I mean, what's funny in a moment in a certain environment in one room, it just might not even land at all. Or right. or you just might accidentally add an extra syllable, which kills right. the whole cadence yeah. and it's just not as right. so you know, there's days where I'm speaking to people and I'm like, I suck today. Sure. <laughs> I just gotta get through this, you right. know. Um, and there's no drummer behind you to blame it yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a very naked feeling. That's a different um, thing, I mean. Yeah. And it's hard to not get uh, too conscious because right. when you get too conscious, it's it's kind of over. Yeah, know? I've heard so. it described as like you know, I'm sure you know you can call it the flow state, you can call it whatever it is, but really, it's just like getting back to being a child. You know, it's like yeah, like you said, like kids aren't really aware of all the stuff that's like coincid, you know, has consequence and whatever. It's like mm-hmm. they're just on the ground with a crayon and a, a paper and yeah, happy. And so if you can get yeah. into that mind state, which is really nothing it's not thinking about anything it's uh it's beautiful but it's damn tough yeah um uh so i mean this might seem like a weird comment but i go to therapy hey, and i'm right um, there with you i'm in like yeah two, i'm on two waiting lists right now <laughs> everybody yeah, so, else on this island is fucking nuts too uh, i mean most of what my therapist has me try to reteach myself is presence and mindfulness yeah and it's it's really is like getting back into that that natural state of just being complete within yourself, which we lose as we get older yeah. because there's too many things we have to perform for, right? You know, jobs, relationships, whatever. And yeah, you get self conscious, and then you really split yourself into a million pieces, and you know that that is one thing that I think uh, music has always helped with, or mm-hmm. when the creative flight visits and I am yeah. writing. Totally. You feel very singular. Yes. And things flow, the flow state like you're talking about. And but there's so many moments in daily life as you we go along lose every yourself. day that you're just not. You just Yeah. It's not clicking. And right. um that's tough. I, I think it just gets harder as you get older. Yeah. It is a practice, like you know, like your therapist yeah. that it's like yeah. incorporating these tools, you want to call them, whatever it is, it's like it's not about like, okay, I'm having a bad time, so now let me do it. It's like, it's a daily momentary thing. It's like uh, my, one of my favorite, he's a Buddhist monk. He just passed away recently. His name's Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was just a beautiful Zen monk. Like he wasn't about like, let me convert you to this Buddhist thing and then you'll right. be good. It was like, no, we're all here just like practicing what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And so for him, it was like washing dishes is meditation you know um, yeah walking down the road is a meditation going to the grocery store all these things that we think are like in between oh well Mm -hmm. i'll get back to the focusing when i'm done with this it's like if you are thinking that you're already gone (laughs) yeah yeah just tough Um, because in our society a lot of this is like hurry 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 get the you know here i am one thing to the next hour and a half between things to talk to you it's like right we just slow down and be here right it's pretty healing. So yes. with that said, and with the consciousness and clarity and all that kind of stuff, tell, talk to me about 
straight edge movement and your sobriety and just like how that all came to be. Did you ever have a time where you went, you had a crazy phase or anything or did you just, Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I think, uh, in middle school, I tried, I tried drugs in middle school. There you go. Um, get it out of the way. Yeah. Like weed, LSD, alcohol, all that, you know, um, and it was very much a peer pressure kind of thing. It wasn't something that I actually had an inclination to go out and try myself, but everybody yeah. else wanted to do it, and I was hanging yeah. out with everybody else. And I don't know if anybody has an original thought in middle school, right? You know, <laughs> um, and also it's 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 forbidden. So yeah, of course. At that age, you got to test your boundaries. This the, is a whole the, can of worms of why this is an issue. You know? Yeah. Um, so, but I had at best experiences with substances that at best were just okay. Right. Um, so I, I didn't feel a strong pull to sure. keep doing them. Yeah. Um, and, and most of the times I did them, it was like, Oh, I'm in an environment where everybody's doing them. So yeah, I guess I should just go along with that. Right. But right. I resonate with that. And then like I was saying, when I was uh, 14 and I heard earth crisis and I'm like, Oh, what are these X's on their hands? It gave me a um, kind of like a, a cornerstone to, yeah. to be like, oh, there's another way. Yeah. And you don't have to do that because everybody else is doing it. And, sure. Um, then I got into the hardcore scene. I found a bunch of other straight edge bands. Mm. And that kind of reinforced, oh, this is actually a thing. And if I want to fit in, I could fit in here. Yeah. Uh, and I remember at the time I had this friend – that he was a couple years older than me. So I was 14 and he was 16 and yeah. he just got a car and we had done some drugs together since mm-hmm. like a couple years prior. Yeah. And it just always escalated with mm-hmm. certain friends of mine. Right. They're getting into the next heavier thing. Of course. And I remember he was going to give me a ride in his car one day cause I was 14. I couldn't drive and he was 16 and he could. And he goes, yeah, just come over to the house. He lived like half a block down from me. And I remember, I almost think he was trying to show off that he was snorting coke. It's a very, it, you know, showy offy thing. Yeah, because he did it right in front of me. And then he acted <laughs> like, you want? And I was like, no, I don't want. Because I remember feeling creeped out. Right. I remember thinking, oh, this is just getting more and more out of hand. Yeah. Like that's coke. And I'd never seen it before. Right. Right. And- I actually told him, you know what? I don't want that that ride. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked like two miles to wherever it was I was going. And I just had this natural repulsion to it at that point, especially yeah. since I was getting into this other subculture that was saying, hey, like people waste their lives doing that. Yeah. And we take a pride in like clean living. Yeah. And I got those Earth Crisis records and – and even even there were a lot of bands in hardcore back then that maybe not the whole band was straight edge, but you just knew like certain members of all these bands were straight edge. It's just right. It's kind of omnipresent. Sure. And um, I, I just thought that was cool because these are like yeah. creative people and yeah. they're articulate people and right. they make music that like makes you want to like jump around, you know. Yeah. And, and society uh, wants to like paint those people as like 
boring. Yeah, boring, but also from the outset, if you didn't know that a hardcore band was straight edge or whatever, the first thing would be like, those guys are on something, you know? Like, mm. And that's kind of the, the irony of it is like, it's a beautiful irony of like, no, dude, these guys are super elevated. Like, they're good. Yeah, and you know, I mean, all the reading that I did, I, you know, I, I quit school um, in my first year of college. I, I basically flunked out of the second semester because I quit trying because I was obsessed with going on tour and right, I just thought right. school was so boring and I was felt like I was yeah. wasting my money. Sure. Um, it's a good thing. None of my bands ever stuck that early cause I would have bailed out too. But honestly, I don't, I say it's a good thing. It doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, part of me wishes I had, uh, I know that I have certain learning issues with just sitting and sure, listening standard formalized. Yeah. Um, because I love learning, but yeah. I like to be very hands-on and in the world and interactive and, uh, yeah. And and obviously, I think I have an intelligence, you know, where people want to pick my brain about things, but I didn't learn things in a conventional kind of way. I learned them traveling sure. and reading while traveling and yeah. conversing with people and yeah. and being worldly in a sense, right. but not sitting there going home studying. That that just wasn't how I, I learned. Right. Uh, it drove I, me nuts. I actually was very depressed that second semester yeah. of uh, – actually, even by the end of the first semester of college – I think there are a lot of human beings out there that will resonate with that because, you know, some people are just really good at being trained to to, to learn that yeah. way. But I think as humans, I mean, look at our evolutionary cycle. None of us till what, like not long ago ever sat in a, a classroom. We never, that wasn't really a thing that, and I'm not to put it down. There's yeah, maybe I wish like, I was better at it. Sure. But it's we like made we, my life a lot easier. <laughs> we got to be to where we're at now because of our ability to like learn from experience and hands on and yeah. So in the world, um, I, I was saying that all these bands and the the issues they were saying about it, it inspired me to pick up books and and then I yeah. would talk to other people in the hardcore scene on tour about oh you've read that book and and then they tell me some yeah. other books and I mean I was reading all the time. Um, yeah. It was an education in itself. Uh, it just wasn't right. formal, you know? And, sure. and uh, that certainly was a big part of my development, becoming mature and, and like just being able to communicate and express yeah. myself. And, and like very, staying sober I, during that time period really helps you to like actually absorb things and, and kind of move a little faster than some people do because they're distracted, you know? Yeah, it it became an obsession of like the pursuit of higher consciousness. Yeah, um, I feel that. <laughs> you know, just being the irony ultra, of like getting yeah. to that place. You yeah, know? ultra ultra present and 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 really concerned about what's going on in the world. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it it inspired me to do my own learning. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So, I really resonate with your your decision and journey into straight edge or sobriety because for me growing up here on this island i mean drugs and alcohol were and still are the hobby du jour you know yeah no i mean i'm very very aware (laughs) yeah because i've spent a lot of time on the island myself so just for the listeners if y'all don't know the reason that i am sitting here right now with daniel is because i know his family via my sister dated your younger brother brother yeah in high school for like three years (laughs) And, uh, oh, wow. So, was that long? No, I just saw him surfing earlier today. So oh, good. <laughs> Actually, both of them, Ryan. And oh, Justin. good. Good. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, growing up here, you know, with that culture, 
I never, I never got into it. I just honestly, you know, it was for me, it was the same thing as like, okay, my friends are getting into these things. I feel when I'm around them and they're doing it, smoking weed, whatever it is, I feel the pressure to do it. Mm-hmm. But I never had that clicking moment of like, yeah, this is for me. It right. was always like, I'm faking it. I'm actually feeling awful. Yeah. <laughs> and- well, that that's an interesting thing because I just don't have the propensity to be an addict or a habitual user. Um, and I have people on both sides of my family who are. And and I love them and I don't think right. they're bad people, but that's a like that's a whole like demon on their back kind of right. situation that I wonder why if I have a lot of the same genes, I don't have that same experience. And so when I was young, finding straight edge and hardcore, it kind of gave me this gusto of, oh yeah, like I can say fuck y'all. Like, like I'm I'm proud to be like this and this is my right. thing. But as I get older, I'm like, I don't know. I just don't vibe with it. It just didn't, right. it didn't get its hands around my neck the same right. way it does with other people. And I don't know the explanation for that. Yeah. I'm more interested in writing a book or uh, going to the gym. Right. And that's kind of like the thing that it can be an addiction. It It, it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, almost like anything that makes you feel good. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause, cause then other parts of your life can suffer when you sure. deprioritize them to, yeah. Meet your, to, to hit your goals. Right. Um, the only thing I can say is like being productive like that. It's like at the end of the day, you're not le- left with this completely chemical addiction that can debilitate you. Absolutely. And yeah, that's the key line there is like you are doing something that ultimately leads to at least a, a nice chemical soft spot to land in as far instead of like a hole of like, how do I get out of here? You know? Yeah, and, and but again, like uh, as the older I get, I, I feel less and less righteous about sure. being sober and being yeah. straight edge, and and um, it just leads you to a more compassionate state. I think, I hope. Well, that's that's the hope. I'm not always there because I like I'm kind of the same as you, but I'm you know a few twelve years behind you. But okay. um, I've been sober myself since 2020. Just you know, no substances mm-hmm. of any kind. And for me, it was like, you know, like it never resonated for me. It never hit that biological marker, whatever, it just never tickled mm-hmm. my fancy. So when I realized, oh, I can actually just make this choice and claim this identity in a way, it gave me a lot of, like you said, gusto or mm-hmm. also just like a lot of self, uh, you know, self-approval of like, yo, this mm-hmm. is a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't have to be all wishy-washy and like maybe do the things you don't believe in to make people happy. And that was a big thing. Right. But, and then, you know, working as a bartender for a while and being sober is a weird experience because you have this gusto, you know, and the veganism thing too, when you serve meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you just want to like, just, you know, internally flick people off or whatever. And it's like, you know, you go through that phase and then you get yeah, to the other it's time. Yeah, it's like, a very, oh. it's a very 20s thing, I think. Yeah. Because um, I'm almost 40, so. Uh, yeah, I'm almost 30, so. Yeah. Um, fading out of that world. It, it's, I've chilled out in that regard. Yeah. Uh, a lot. Um, but it's something you have to go through and. Yeah. And you just realize that everybody's going through their own thing. Sure. They're all that, where they're at. You know, they're all doing yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of all just victims of being reactionary, trauma-driven people. Yeah. That's I mean, that's what we are as creatures. And it's a lot of work to not yeah. resemble that. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, I, I, one reason I still say I'm straight edge is not really for me. It's not really about my identity because I really yeah. don't care. Um, right. I, I, I'm more about waving the vegan flag because I want people to see like the benefits of it. Sure. Um, but with straight edge, I, I mean, I kind of do just say I'm straight edge because for those young people that are looking for something to pull them out of the, the current. Right. Um, that's what it was for me. Yeah. You know, I was 14 and I could have just kept being untrue to my authentic right. desires for connection oh, in yeah. some other way. You can keep doing that forever. <laughs> yeah, you can because it's easy to go with the current. Yeah. And, uh, but I knew it wasn't going to be rewarding for me. And then fortunately I found this other thing that told yeah. me you can live another way. And, uh, right. and also there's a tribe here and we'll yeah. accept you. And so, uh, I think, I think one of the main reasons I still say I'm straight edge is like that 14 year old kid that is like sure. struggling with that balance of yeah. where do I belong? Right. What can I do in my spare time to fit in? Um, there's a lot of them out there right now. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's all of us really. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, as a, just like you said, we're a trauma bonded society and, uh, growing up in the West, you know, for better, or for worse, we are, we are branded, you know, like everything is branded. There's a trademark for everything. And yeah, yeah, that's just yeah. a part of our culture. It's not like, Oh, it's wrong or right. It's just is what it is. And so these things like veganism trademark, Straight yeah. edge trademark. It's like, right. okay, you know, th it is what it is. And we can actually use those terms, you know, in the same way the LGBTQ plus community is doing is like, okay, you, you aren't literally this. You are literally a human being. And, right, right. you know, you're, you're atoms and molecules and all this stuff. But the identity helps with our human side and our, our ability. It, to it, it helps us language. find, it helps us find um, kindred spirits. Yeah, like you um, said, a tribe. Like yeah, because we do need that. And this is a tricky thing because I'm I'm more of an uh, more of an introverted person most of the time, but I, I right do get out. You. I do get out and I do perform and I do speak right. and and I get these bursts yeah. in a day or two or in a weekend of being hyper social. I'm right in the middle of it right now. <laughs> yeah, and then I and then I go back and then you know like this weekend is um, a weekend where I'm actually home and right. I don't have the impulse to leave my house. Right. Know? So, uh, it's a lot of recharging and, um, it, it and, and I'm learning also that, you know, there's, there's two edges to the sword of, of finding your tribe. It's like, I mean, there's yep. still crazy people in your tribe. There's still oh, damaged yeah. people who are going to drive you insane, um, yep. and misrepresent what you think, uh, the flag you're waving is all about. Totally. Um, and I find this in the vegan community a lot. <laughs> Have you ever been on Reddit vegan? No. Uh, <laughs> Twitter, Reddit, I, I mean, they serve their functions, right? But I, I yeah. just haven't been able to assimilate. Yeah. Um, the, the point is that there's like, uh, I think there's like 700,000 members. And there's mm. a lot of good stuff on there. But there's a mm. lot of stuff that's like, oh, man, I have to share like a name tag with this guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Uh, I, I always, you know, especially in the age of social media, when you look at someone's profile and yeah. it's like, they are this and this and this and this and this. And I just think, oh, this person really hasn't integrated themselves yet. Yeah. Like that's, right. that's what you want people, you know, you're this sure. and this and this and this. It's like. If you're just, full, you know, throwing around identities. Labels. Right. It's, 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 it's a good place to start, but it's not a good it's place, a place to start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
I feel like, but you know, you see people that are like 40 years old doing this. And I'm like, when we were 14, that's understandable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We need to kind of, I mean, I I pride myself on being more relatable to non-vegans than to vegans because the overlap is where the interesting things and the transformations happen. Absolutely. Not like I just want to convert people. I mean, I just want them to have, I want to have a dialogue. Right. And I want... I want to see everybody growing, you know? Um, I mean, I think for someone that if I'm going to wave my own flag and stand up for the causes I believe in, yeah, um, I also need to learn how to be a better communicator, to be more understanding, to not be right. so judgmental. And to so know that, that veganism includes humans too. Yeah, like that that overlap with people that are different than you or yeah. identify as different yep. than you is really important. And there's a whole shade to all that. You know, it's like... It's for me, I, I visualize it as like meeting at the the tide line. You know, it's like, you know, if we're two different factions, you got the vegans and the non-vegans and we're like somewhere in the middle, there's this shade of like people that are a little bit closer to understanding or want to know more. And then on the, all the way on the other end, there's like people that are like, you tell me you're vegan, I'm going to go eat five steaks in front of you. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's yeah. fine. Like you could log a grenade to that side and blow that guy up. <laughs> or you could just go to that the other side of the tide line that's closer to you that's like, hey, I'm interested to know why you chose this and have that conversation. And it's mm-hmm. like you only have so much time while you're alive. Forget the like yeah. the, the grenades. Just like give somebody a hug and a, a you know, a vegan mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, you know, that's like the kind of outreach that we do. It it needs to be always concentrated around the the goal of of communion with somebody like right. you, you, like what we're not going to beat them into submission. No. Uh, and it's a learning process that you like, and, oh, we, and we we're not going to argue with them into submission. Right. I mean, you just have to learn how to interact and how, yeah, how to reprogram. Cause it was a yeah. reprogramming I'm sure for you and for me of like tradition, you know, like right. holidays. Oh, we got to have a Turkey. We got to have a ham, you know, and it's like, we can actually, it's really fun to, to like reprogram these traditions and realize you don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's like, mm-hmm. you want to celebrate Thanksgiving or whatever it is to you. Great. We can also not kill animals. You know, it's like, yeah, what a beautiful way to do it both. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it does, it's never going to go exactly entirely how you want it uh no i mean on my dad's side of the family i used to get a lot of ridicule uh and then and and then over the years it's like oh that tofurkey is pretty good give me some more of that and i'm like hey i need some leftovers motherfucker like (laughs) that's my grandpa he's like i ain't eating that shit but then if he doesn't know that it's vegan and he eats it and he's Mm -hmm. like what is this and i'm like yeah, I've I've just messed with them. I'm like, you know, it's ostrich meat or dog meat or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh but you know, then I find, oh, you guys, you don't want to admit it, but you like you like this stuff. You know, right. like if, if I'm not if I'm not um talking about it all the time, talking about how different or superior it is, they're more open minded to it. Yeah. And um and it, and then over time it becomes less and less a weird thing and Exactly. And uh, it is always funny, though, at the holidays or wherever it is and you get the non-vegan family member or just friends or whatever. And they come up to you and you've got your vegan plate and you're sitting your mind in your own business, <laughs> not starting shit. You know, it's all mm-hmm. good. And they ask you something like, you know, 
well, tell me why, you know, it's like, uh, actually, can we not? Because yeah, yeah, I'm not going to be, it's not going to make you feel any better at this moment with Mm -hmm. your plate. (laughs) Yeah. I try to avoid the, uh, dinner table conversations. Yeah. It's like, Hey, maybe later when we're all like dispersed a bit yeah, and you want to have a real heart to heart. Yeah, and, and just talk about exploding, and I feel conceptual like <laughs> ideas, you know, yeah. and and just yeah, because when I was younger, uh, it's easy yeah, to sit there, a, and then they come to you with the questions, but then when you answer, they feel attacked. Yeah, it's an invitation to be self righteous, but you never ask for it. It's a horrible, it's a lose lose situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I do my best to avoid it and just be right. like, you know, we can talk about something later, but hey, why don't we just enjoy sitting together right now? Yeah. You how know? about those, you know, yeah. Houston Texans, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's segue um, into, you know, this conversation. Veganism has led you into a whole new world of being a, a, a writer and an author. And uh, your stuff's great. I've been reading Vegan Meathead. It's, it's, it's lovely. Just in the first like <laughs> few pages, I want to read to. The, I want to read a couple things. Oh, okay. The uh, well, I loved the opening page that tells you what a vegan is. Which oh, is, <laughs> which is a person who does not eat or use animal product products. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to tell you guys, the the name of the book is Vegan Meathead. It's the way of the vegan meathead. The way of the vegan meathead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's available. Wherever you want to get your books. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, I've got it on my site, daniel-austin.com or veganmeathead.com. Or, you know, it's on Amazon if you right. if you use that. And then there's like, you know, little independent places around that um, might pick it up and sell Sweet. it. Yeah, but I don't have any like overarching international distribution. It's mostly a self-published endeavor. Sure. Um, well, it's, it's great either If people way. order directly from me, I always include some extra goodies. So just so you yeah. so, We'll we'll yeah. put those links in the in the podcast episode yeah. so you can order that. But so we got the definition of what a vegan is. Then the meathead is a muscular but thick person, mm-hmm. and that is thick with a K, not two C's. Just <laughs> just so we're clear. I should have updated. Huh? I should yeah, have. that'll be you know uh, the yeah <laughs> third edition exactly. Yeah. So a vegan meathead is a noun and a title of superiority. <laughs> an apparent paradox which signifies the way of the future that's right i like that a lot <laughs> I, I, I like that i like the tongue-in-cheek thing like you said you gotta introduce comedy into things ba- yeah basically like when i talked about that band band of mercy that i did with some of the, the vegan yeah. die young guys um it was very tongue-in-cheek like we're vegan we're better than you. we had a song called better than you but yeah you know the people that thought it was the funniest the everything i was saying in this band like i'd walk out yeah. on stage and be like we're a vegan band. Yeah. That means we're here to force our beliefs on you. And like in California playing that where everybody was vegan, they didn't think that was funny at all. Right. In Texas where like nobody's vegan. I mean, there are a lot of vegans in Texas, but like at a show, it's not like predominantly this vegan crowd of people. They're the ones coming up after the show being like, can I still buy your shirt? That was hilarious, man. Yeah. Like I'm not vegan, but I want to represent cause that was fucking hilarious you know yeah i'm like okay you got the humor yeah exactly so uh but i've kind of brought that persona to this enterprise yeah Uh, the way of the vegan meathead is it's my it's my lifting persona you know it's it's uh and it comes across in a way that's not you know cloying or whatever it's like yeah because in the at the end in the end of the day i'm there to help you with your diet right um well you know i i know that uh 
a lot of people have hit me up. One of the main reasons I wrote this book to begin with, um, you know, it's in the second edition now, but I started writing the first edition in 2016. Yeah. Because I started competing in powerlifting in 2015. And people were like fascinated that, right? How are you here doing this? It's and impossible. not only that, but you're you're like winning. Yeah. So um, I was asked by a lot of non-vegans how I do this, and I find, especially you know, as me and my circle, my peers get older, people that aren't vegan are like, "Hey, we see that you're staying healthy and strong." Mm-hmm us not so much so they're hitting me up for advice right despite me being vegan right you know because they think if they they think that if they can learn the ins and outs of uh protein sources mm-hmm. that don't have to be meat that right. don't have cholesterol connected to them yeah that they're going to help themselves yep. so like maybe they don't want to be 100% vegan but they know that there's something here that they could help themselves. Sure. And um, so that's that's one of my motivations for the book. So while I tease people about like vegan superiority and all that, I mean, I think it comes off pretty oh, clearly. Yeah. I got it I'm pretty immediately, you know. Busting and, balls, you know. It's, yeah. And, it, and it, it's really great because like you said, you know, like a lot of people, when you appeal to people's like self-interest, actually, it's a, probably, it's a really effective way to do it because we're a very yeah. self-interested society. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And um, that's kind of okay. And I think that's is some of the beauty of like the plant based thing. That's like you know, it's not technically veganism. It, it overlaps, right? A plant based right. diet, right. if you are not eating any animal products, is a vegan diet. But a vegan lifestyle is is believing is believing in not harming any animals. But yeah, um, there's this overlap. That's like okay, well maybe I can't really get on that level with this person about like ethical things. But if they're gonna eat less animals then like i'm happy with that too like <laughs> yeah totally so i mean you know unfortunately i don't think there's anything ever in history that we could get everybody behind at the same time no <laughs> if we do it's or you know call it done somebody just like please yeah stop. yeah um life's too complicated and people come from too many different backgrounds and ingrained beliefs to just yeah. get them all under one banner yeah um because I mean, people can't even agree that all people have the right to live. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's like it's you gotta start. You gotta start there first. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, uh, so, so yeah. I mean, I I wanted to construct this whole narrative and this outlet, um, yeah, about vegan diet information to be something that people can enjoy at their leisure. They can apply yeah. it to themselves. It's not about converting. It's just here's the information. I've right. been walking the walk for a while now. Yeah. So you can you you can trust that this will work if you apply it apply it to your life consistently. Yeah. Um, and uh it's interesting too, because I've done a lot of like um lectures, veg fest, uh athlete awesome. panels. Um yeah. and a lot of times I'm up there at a table with Someone who's a, a certified nutritionist, right, or a PhD of some kind, yeah. And what people find, uh, I mean, what I what I find is in the reactions with the audience is that mm-hmm. I'm talking about personal experience. This sure. is anecdotal, but in some ways, the anecdotal truth is the more powerful truth because you can't yeah. tell me that that's not how it went for me. 
Right. Um, because we're anecdotal beings. We're we're in yeah. relation with everything. Right. Like it's not a we can't clinically like prove everything every day of our lives. <laughs> well, right. And what I find among the more clinical community when mm-hmm. they talk about vegan diet issues is they're not really talking from experience. They're just talking in theory about, you know, what the numbers say. Right. And, you know, how many people do you know tried to have a New Year's diet, a New Year's wake, uh, workout program, and they didn't feel like they were making any progress after three, four weeks, and they stopped? Plenty. Everybody, right? So you, you want to you wanna listen to somebody that has done the shit and knows how it works and knows how complicated it could be. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, for example, one of the counterintuitive things in my book is about make friends with fake meat because it's more, if you, if you're interested in building muscle and strength, uh, it's more protein dense than beans, legumes, vegetables, all yeah. that. Right. And so if you're going to get real about your goals and we mentioned this earlier, it's a numbers game. Yeah. You need to be eating the more protein-dense foods, whether it's got salt in its process or not. I'm not saying don't eat vegetables. I eat vegetables right. every day. Yeah. I'm just saying protein goals require sure. eating the most protein-dense foods. Right. And that Being, comes back to the self-awareness thing. If yeah. those aren't your goals, okay, well, then don't worry about it. But if right. it is, then… But I'll find that the, the doctors will get up on the panels with me and say, oh, well… You know, beans and whatever, that'll meet all your goals. And I'm like, not for a strength athlete. Sure. Because, you know, beans, seven grams of protein per serving, also got seven grams of fiber. Right. That's one of the reasons why they say that's the magical fruit. Oh, yeah. And you, it, you know, uh, it's and, getting more and, magical every year. Yeah. And, and the fiber, um, that negates your ability to absorb the amino acids because it mm. flushes things through your digestive tract faster. So – one of the ways of the vegan meathead is to slow down that absorption process so that you can utilize all the amino acids you're consuming, or at least you, you'll never utilize all of them, but you eat an abundance of them so that you can get as many as you can. Right. And that will make, that'll give you the edge and build a muscle. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, if you're just going to be jogging or whatever, then sure, beans are fine. Right. I have a lot of experience with that. And, uh, I, I've had people tell me, Hey, I liked what you were saying. It just, it just, you know, I, I go to the gym, I try this stuff and like, I've done the things that they told me in forks over knives and I've done the things yeah. they told me what, and what the health and I'm, I'm just not hitting my goals. Like I'm eating carrots and hummus every day and I'm shitting. <laughs> Shout six out times. hummus, yo. Yeah. I mean, I, lo- <laughs> I love that too, you know, but it's just like, you have to bet, you have to build the diet appropriately. Right. Uh, based on your goals. And, yeah. um, the cool thing I think about my book the way of vegan meathead is that it is about how to hit the most extreme dietary goals for the most extreme strength performance right. as a vegan. So it's teaching people this is like the hardest thing to do that is mm-hmm. achievable. Mm-hmm. And if you're any less than that, it's gonna be fine. Exactly. Like if you can if you can do the hardest version yeah. of a vegan diet to meet your goals, like any other lifestyle you want to live as a vegan is gonna be super easy. Yeah. And that's one reason I would say this is information that's relevant to anybody. Right. Yeah. To the whether French you want to live to the, the kind French of lifestyle. Oreo vegans out there. Yeah. I mean, whether <laughs> you want to live the kind of lifestyle I do or not, it's like it's good information to have. It's, it's good yeah. to know how to overcompensate when the narrative you hear all our lives has been 
you're not going to get enough. Right. You're weak. You're I'm like, yo, I get more than enough. You know yeah. what I mean? No, that's amazing. So, and yeah. I'm, I'm glad you just went ahead and tackled that because I had a question written down here that said, but bro, where do you get your protein? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's like what, that's like the biggest chapter in the book. It's like all, all the different variations of protein that I've got in there from protein powder, protein bars, natural foods, uh, in, and the more protein dense natural foods that are a little like altered, like tofu, yeah. seitan and tempeh and things like that. No, it's, um, um, that's, it's a big topic and people will, it's like the first thing everybody asks. Right. So, but yeah, the book, I mean, it just does an amazing job. I like the beginning, how it gives you your backstory and a lot of your philosophy behind why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the how, because for me, like, I always gravitate to authors that really don't have a lot of background in like clinical stuff. Like, I mean, don't mm-hmm. I, I love like those kind of books too. But for me, I'm like, I'll read, um, you know, Jeff Tweedy's book about music and songwriting before I go and read like some guy who's been studying music theory for like 70 years because he, I just, I feel relatable to somebody who yeah, just was a it's, kid it's, in it's their it's bedroom. It's the ability to connect. Right. We love stories. You got to have a story, you know? Yeah. And your story is great, man. And uh, thank you. I want to read this couple quotes from it too, because right away, like, just got me with the, the quotes. A wise man, this is from the book. A wise man named Henry Rollins once said that the definition of definition is reinvention. To not be like your parents, to not be like your friends, to be yourself. This speaks to the idea of reinventing oneself better, stronger, wiser. That if we just accept what society and culture have prescribed for us to be, then we are not being true to the idea of becoming our best possible self. See, that right away, I was like, man, it doesn't matter if this is about veganism or not. This is like, just we all need to be taking that into account more. I do think that becoming vegan helped me be my best self. And, and granted, yeah. I'm not done trying to be my best self, but oh, yeah. uh, I, I always say it's the best decision I ever made. I would totally agree. It helped me just clear out a lot of um, cognitive dissonance. And like, like this quote says, you know, the things like to be like your parents or to be like your friends, like the societal baggage that we all picked up. And uh, that leads into the next quote you say, which is another wise man once said, Man is something that should be overcome and that what is a great man, what is great in man is that he is a bridge and not a goal. What can be loved in man is that he is a going across and a down going. The second wise man was Frederick Nietzsche, of course. And so as soon as I read that, I was like, oh man, we're going to have the best podcast ever. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love Nietzsche. I've got a, a more Fatih tattoo right here. Oh, wow. Nice. It is what I live by and his ideas. Um, obviously he was a controversial contrarian type of philosopher that I, you kind of have to be a contrarian to be a philosopher. Absolutely. And then of course, when you, I mean, was it Freud said he had to stop reading Nietzsche because then he'd find he'd have nothing left to say for himself. (laughs) It's like, it's like (laughs) when you say that much for that long, of course, some people are going to misinterpret it or sure. interpret it uh, conveniently for them and their wild, kooky ideas. But right. Um, so what this quote here is pulling from is, I believe it's from "Thus Spoke Their Sutra." There, there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hard name to say. I always say Zarathustra. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know the correct way. So then. Um, and the concept <laughs> of the Ubermensch or the Overman, mm-hmm. which is Frederick Nietzsche's concept of what 
what we are in our current stage of existence is to mm. this higher thing that is better than man because let's be honest man has a lot of shit to figure out mm. and um when i found that uh concept and development that he came up with it changed my life because i was in a place where i was very burdened by things in society and all these things uh you know i i i was married in my early 20s i didn't know that yeah oh wow Shout that's, out. <laughs> that's uh that's that's uh, uh yeah, and that's it was a lot in, that's a lot in your twenties, man. Totally. People in our twenties, we don't really know what the hell we're doing. And I, I barely know what the hell I'm doing right now. So Right. Don't get me wrong, I <laughs> loved that person very much at the time. Yeah. And it, you know, society and everything told me it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it was the right thing to do. And it mm-hmm. also was the right thing to do just to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that time of like becoming a you know mid-20s whatever and the, the existential existential crises all coming down at once um i think nietzsche's thing is like you're you you become the camel in this stage of development where you go from just kind of floating through life as like a nothing you're just society's imprint and then when you become the camel you take everything on and you, you realize oh i'm actually taking on the baggage of my my parents and my society and my whatever, whoever's around you. And it's kind of like this really depressing place to be because you're like, what do I do? I'm just loaded up with people's shit mm-hmm. and my own shit. And uh, to get to that next stage towards the Ubermensch, you have to become the lion. And the lion just pretty much fucking kills the camel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you have to literally say like, goodbye, everything my parents taught me. Goodbye, religion. Goodbye, all this and like he says, this is the place where true existential dread happens. And a lot of yeah. people fall into, you know, drug abuse or suicide mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And man, I was at that place where I'm like, this is the scariest place I've ever been. But on the other side of it was also the just like the most beautiful place because you get to you become what he calls the child. You reclaim mm. the world through your own view of like, I've been born back into the world as you know, maybe you picked up some of the things that you took off the camel or whatever. Maybe you said, oh, yeah, my parents, they had some good points, but you actually decided mm-hmm. for yourself. Right. And that's right. the key thing that he's saying here is like, not just to float through life as a man, but to like, or as a, as a human being, let's, let's not use man all the time, but <laughs> um, sure, not just to float through life with what society has given you, but like question it, go to the depth of the darkest place you can and then choose because if you're not, you're really not, um, you're really not living for yourself and you're not making your own choices. And that plays right into veganism of like, are you willing to look at the darkest, deepest stuff that you also have a hand in and happening? Cause mm-hmm. you're here. Yes. And that's why it's very emotional and, uh, hard for people to, to really consider what we do participate in culturally. Yeah, because um, it's been built like this forever. So it's like, uh, and and I recall many conversations with people where I was like, "Hey, you know, you asked me about this, but I think you would best understand it if you watch this movie called Earthlings." <laughs> and then they go, "Well, I know it's like propaganda, and it's meant to change my mind, and I know it's going to make me uncomfortable, so I'm not going to watch it." Mm. But thank you very much. And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, I mean, just why not just consider the information?" Sure. For just information and then make up your own mind about it. But they don't want their mind to change because it's too, it's too painful to, to right. let go of, you know, and this is why at the dinner table, people 
prod us. It's yeah. our existence of having a different value system makes them think, am I living wrong? Him sitting right there eating his tofu turkey. Am I living wrong? Totally. Let me bother him. <laughs> let, let me criticize him. Um, it, it, that's that's what the deep fear is. Is yeah. we're we're all worried about living wrong. And when we grow up, you know what's put on our plate is 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 that's what you're supposed to eat. You know, um, and I mean it, it doesn't. This is doesn't just happen in regard to food. It, it happens no. to everything we're supposed to believe. So, you know, as soon as somebody says, you know, I'm not sure about that. What if I could eat some other things? What if I believe something else? What if um, you have to be forced to consider it yourself? The, the hive mind does not like that. They just like, we look, we already constructed our belief system. We accepted the prescription. Yeah. It's comfortable. Just le- let us. And, you know, I really don't think people mean any ill will. No, I would agree with um, that. They they just want to be comfortable and they want to live right in yes. their own mind. And I think uh, it's important to realize that to challenge your own beliefs doesn't have to be so threatening. Because if if you're not living uh, in, in your right is relative, right? Totally. But um, if you're not living in accord with what you really believe in your heart, like the things that you intuitively feel. Yeah. Um, and you're denying that? Yeah. At some point in your life, you might come to this realization that you have been lying to yourself. Totally. And I mean, how do you get those years back? Yeah. I so, start with day one is how I say. But like, right. you know, I think it is that thing of people coming to you and or, or not even coming to you, but just being around you and you're making a choice that's different than theirs, makes them uncomfortable because they mm. have to face it. I mean, I've been there with my own life. I know that. Um, but it's also, I don't want people to feel guilty. Guilt is a useless emotion. It's like, it's not, you know, I don't want to say it's useless because it can bring awareness to something, but to operate from guilt and to dwell in guilt doesn't really do anything. Yeah. It's not your authentic value. It's not, guilt's not a value. Yeah. Guilt is not, does not align with authenticity. Authenticity. If you lived authentically, guilt would be an after you would never have guilt actually because you would just be like nope i am very clear in who i am and what i'm doing right. on this planet so eh, it's all good so right. i try to make sure people know like i'm not trying to make you feel guilty like and i don't want you to feel guilty if some if if, yeah. if you feel bad about the actions you're doing i want you to feel good so how can i help <laughs> right right this is about getting a cord yeah with what what you know is right deep down yep Within yourself. Which is hard to do because it's a noisy world right now. Right. And the, the, right. the first thing you hear is probably not the thing that you thought or feel. Like you got to like be willing to wait around for like, oh, no, okay, that was the news. That was my parents. That was my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is my authentic thought. You know, it's like mm-hmm. are you willing to wait long enough in stillness to just like let all that noise dissipate? And that's a, that's a lot to ask in today's world because – yeah. I have friends, you know, who are busy people. We're all busy people, but like it's a different level of busy in today's world, I feel like right now is like this wealth inequality and just hustle culture being forced on a lot of people to just like pay rent and to just buy groceries 
And so I'm talking to my friends about, you know, consciousness and all these things. They're like, oh, that would be really nice. But like, <laughs> yeah, I've got deadlines and uh, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I oh, get dude, it. I, I, I feel kind of guilty sometimes just having an easy weekend. Yeah. I'm just like, that's crazy that I. Yeah. It's a, it's a complex, you know, and I, re- yeah. I'm, I'm fighting hard in my life to just like, just say, you know what? Yeah, it's okay to hustle sometimes when when the situation calls for a hustle. And it's like, you literally have to get to that place because you need to help this person or you need to whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. But like, when you're just sitting around and you have the time and space and absolute no necessity to do anything, it's like, okay. <laughs> right. And there is right. a lot of guilt that gets wrapped up in that. But, um, you know, it's, it's a ongoing thing. And we all are just, like you said, we're all just reflecting to each other. So it's the more we can all kind of try to ease up a little bit, I think we'll be better. But yeah, man, um, do you want to say anything about your other book? You got a, a little novel out there too called Canefield. Yeah. Um, did you get to dig into that one at all? I have not. I've oh, read okay. the you know intro and footnotes. I'm just... There's yeah, some stories. Hustling, uh, man. I don't know. I don't know if you know, there's a, there's a chapter in there called Kinnikeet. Yeah, I did see uh, that. Uh, okay, yeah, so that, that'll be a funny one when you get to that. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's uh, so you know. Um, For the listeners that don't know, Kinnikeet is a colloquial um, Native American term for where I'm literally sitting right now. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's uh, I like to say that Canefield is a confessional fiction novel. It's probably like eighty percent true, but yeah. I've I've. Uh, you know, I've drawn upon my tour stories and my early Die Young and Finer Truth tours, yeah. and um, it's it's a coming of age novel. Uh, yeah. You know, about you know, back to like the idea of the Ubermensch. It's like it's about moving the dial. Uh huh. Um, and wh- one way I like to say it's a book about me becoming less of an asshole. Nice. Um, like through trial and error, through through like trial and error. There's a lot of there's a lot of trial and error. Um, yeah. So you know, I I mean, I did draw upon a lot of experiences from high school into my twenties yeah. uh, between being in a band, touring relationships. And I mean, I think there's a lot of funny stuff along the way. Yeah. Um, but back to that idea of identity of, you know, yes, I'm vegan. Yes. I'm straight edge. Yes. I'm whatever into alternative music and whatever. Sure. But, um, there's this whole other side to my writing. Like I've got three poetry books also. And, uh, I love, poetry. I, I'm not just here to be Mr. Vegan. Right. Uh, that's not all there is to me. Um, right. it's not, it's not really my identity. Uh, yeah. I, I am me. Yeah. And, uh, so the novel was about just human experience development. Nice. It's about forgiveness. It's about, uh, mm. I mean, there's, it, there's like family issues, there's relationship issues in that book. Yeah. It, it touches on all of them. And, and I find that my friends in the music scene who have read the book or, yeah. or not even just friends, like people that have hit me up online to say, yeah. Hey, I read the book. You know, I played in bands and whatever. I felt like this was almost about me. Yeah. You know, like we have these universal struggles, right? The human, um, the human experience, yeah. the, about where we come yeah. from, about relationships and yeah. um, and also our own skill sets and, and trying to develop ourselves. And right. uh, I think that that's ultimately what that book is about. 
Um, I can't wait it, to read it because it sounds yeah. right up my alley. I, I think it's fun, and then it gets heavy in moments, and then for you is uh, creative and nonfiction. You know, does it come from two different sides of your brain? Is it like a, a yeah? I am. You know, like I can't write a novel or poetry right at the same time. Totally. And I can't write the vegan meathead stuff at the same time. Yeah. Uh, they're totally like modes I get into. They're like different sides of my personality. Yeah. And uh, I, I recall the cane field, it started uh, with a dream. Oh, I nice. I woke up and it was a dream about someone from my youth. Yeah. Many, many years later. And it kind of like this dream communicated something to me about how much I had misunderstood so many things when I was younger. Wow. And I actually depict the dream in the book. It's one of the oh. last chapters, but it's one of the first chapters I wrote. That's awesome. Um, and from there, this whole, like, I saw that there's this great story to tell mm-hmm. from all this misunderstanding. Wow. So it's like the one little thread pulled. It was the an epiphany, thing. you know? Wow, that's yeah. That's so cool. I love when and, dreams do that, you know? Like, yeah. It can be so. I, I wrote a song recently uh, from a dream. It was a, you know, an artist named Phoebe Bridgers. You ever heard of her? I know of her, yeah. Yeah, she's a big deal now, but she's yeah, like, yeah. you know, sad girl vibes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I love her. And so, but I, she just appeared in my dream one night and like we were just deeply, madly in love. And I was like, finally, oh. I'm finally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry to nice. anybody who's listening that it didn't work out with, but like it worked out in this dream really well. And then I woke up and I was like, oh no. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I had to write a song about like, you know, this dream love, right? Because we have all had that moment where we're like, this dream is the perfect thing. You're in it, you're identified in it. Mm. And then you wake up and you're like, God damn it. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's just like real love. Yeah. There's infatuation phase is a dream. It's just thankfully you... it all happened within eight hours. Yeah. Oh, that's years. that's ideal. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's really cool. I can't wait to read it. And is that available? Same. It's on, yeah, on my on my website okay. and uh, Amazon and uh, I mean various uh, like little distros around. But I, I would say look first on my website, Daniel Austin.com. Okay. Yeah. And then to get back to like your creative process in the writing world, like, do you have practices or have you know rituals that like will bring about you know say the creative tap versus the nonfiction thing. Um, because for me, I have the same thing. Like I, if I'm gigging a bunch, I can't write music. I mean, I'm like, it's, yeah. it's no, powering it's- through it's masculine. It's all this stuff. And then, but for me, I have to be in this like very soft childlike mind state to write good songs. So it's like, sometimes I got to balance it out, like cancel some gigs or whatever, and just like chill at my house for a while. And um, do you have any like rituals like that, that, bring about a certain source or is it literally kind of like a mysterious force that visits? I find that when I am writing more vegan meathead stuff, it's usually after interactions with people at events or, um, and I say this in the, the new version of the vegan meathead book and the little forward I wrote, is it like a lot of the new version was informed by questions people asked me, Mm -hmm. um, at events, whether I was speaking at a university or doing it at a veg fest or something, yeah, I, I learned what people wanted to to, to hear um, right. in terms of like what they want addressed, what they need to know, yeah, and that that's inspiring for me. So when I have a lot of that kind of interaction going on, I think, oh, 
I would at least make a note in my phone about there needs to be a new chapter or a new part of a chapter that addresses this. Right. And I don't really know. I, I will say writing that kind of material, I have to be in a pretty good headspace with myself mm. because a lot of the other stuff is more therapeutic. Sure. Um, and so if I'm writing poetry, things are real bad. If I'm yeah. writing, uh, and, and, you know, back in the day, it was like writing um, a Die Young song or something like that. Yeah. Things are pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in my head, at least. Um, and and uh, something like Canefield, I don't know, that one, that was weird. That one, that one started out, I mean, it was really like this visit of inspiration. Sure. Um, from that dream. And yeah. I was in a very comfortable time of my life. I had, right. um, I had a partner, we had two houses, we yeah. had his family of animals we'd adopted and, and I thought things were really good. And in the midst of writing that things got mm -hmm. turned upside down yeah. and it, and it really made it hard to finish it for a while. It took me three years to finish it, but there was a good year where I couldn't get very far. I didn't want to, sure. I couldn't get back in that world. I couldn't get clear. You know, yeah. a lot of times writing is the ritual is you have to create the space, the mental and physical space to get clear in your thoughts. Yeah. To get a, a skeleton of what you need to knock out and then yeah. flow. But to sometimes like if you've got five hours, it yeah. takes four hours to get there and you only get one hour of writing out of it. Right. But it's you know, how often do you have five hours? <laughs> so not ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's tough. So that, uh, that gets tricky. And I will say that getting in that space is that's, I think the trickiest part. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I wish that at some point, maybe it would be really nice if I have one book be successful enough where I can quit my day job Yeah, and set, you know, when I read about, um, or watch documentaries about Leonard Cohen or Nick Cave or two of my favorite yeah. singers of all time. Absolutely. Um, but they also poets and novelists right. themselves. Um, but they look at writing songs, writing prose, whatever they wake up and write, they treat right. it like a nine to five, even if yep. it's at the office in their house. Yep. They got, they earned enough to where they could create that space for themselves on a regular right. basis. Yep. I would love to have that space for myself one day, but that's really hard. You know, it is and, and they, getting increasingly you know, harder. Yeah. There's, and yeah. there's reasons to not quit your day job. So, <laughs> I'm not in the, yeah. In the days of Leonard Cohen, I mean, you could get an apartment in the village of New York for like I mean, I'm sure it's all relative to inflation and everything, yeah. but like relatively speaking, you could survive on rice and beans and whatever and write poetry and you know, like yeah. not even get to Leonard Cohen's height, but like you could be a creative person and maybe work a couple cafe shifts and be fine. But you would yeah. have like four days if you're weak to just create and like yeah. that's where a lot of the beauty and art came from was those eras and like they're kind of a bygone time for a lot of people yeah and yeah. like me personally i'm living in this crazy vortex of like i think i'm in 1970 because i'm just able to live so i'm just grateful i'm able to live really cheaply and mm -hmm. um just kind of spend a lot of my days hanging out writing stuff and yeah. like this winter for instance you know how this island is in the winter there's no one here i mean I, I i did the leonard cohen thing i woke up every day just started writing or, oh, or edited amazing, writing man. and you know everything 
I, I wrote probably 40 or 50 songs this past winter that we'll see what happens. But it was yeah. just like, regardless of where it goes, was yeah. like, this is exactly how I want to live my life. Why can't everyone do that? You know, whatever it is to them, why can't yeah. we all just do that? But such is the way of right. existence. Yeah, I mean, I, I've currently, I'm uh, my day job is like medical reporting for veterans. And, okay. And uh, there's quotas and it's very right. high pace. And I've, I read I've known people of, who do that job. I, I read hundreds of pages of medical reports five days a week. And uh, you can only imagine that the end of most of those days, especially when I go to the gym, which is like four days a week, I go to the gym. There's just not, it's not creative. A lot in the tank to be creative at the end of those days. Right. Um, so it's, it gets harder. Um, somehow I feel like I'm still churning out as much as I've ever done, but it's, it's a struggle, man. I mean, yeah. making the space in your head to, yeah. to do it is, and I have friends ask me that, that, that they want to be better at writing and stuff. And they're like, how yeah. do you, I, and I don't know. At the end of the day, it's kind of like, why did why don't I have an addictive personality yeah. for drugs? I don't know. Uh, people I'm related to do. Right. Uh, why is it that I can work 45, 50 hours a week, go to the gym, and still find it in me to write? I don't know. Uh, I I could just pat myself on the back and be like, well, I'm just awesome. But uh, but I don't I you know I don't know I I've got a tenacity or just like this kind of embedded vitality yeah I, i'm re i'm restless i'm yeah. restless I, which is is a sign of discontent sure <laughs> i'm very discontented that's what, it, that's what it is yeah i mean if you were like a you know zen buddhist or whatever you'd probably just be like ah why write why, right why pick up a pen that's too much you know but yeah. there's some beauty to yearning, right? You know, and I, I'm right there. Oh, with yeah, you. yeah. You got to suffer. Uh, I, I guess I like suffering. Yeah. <laughs> well, you might as well. You, might, you know, it's going to be here whether you like it or not. Right. So, so more fati. Uh, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that the gym thing, you know, in this phase of your life with the day job and stuff is a, a really nice outlet that you don't have to be too creative about that. It's just like I, a I find to... that's my most meditative state. Like, yeah. uh, I, I'm not very good at sitting and meditating. My therapist is like, Hey, yeah, come on. I'm good uh, at talking I, to people about it, but yeah, I'm not like, good in the morning. I'm like, I'm eh. not. Oh, and plus I got three dogs right here and you know, in the morning they're like insane and they want yeah. all this well, stuff. It sounds like and, you're living an unpartnered life, which makes it like everything comes back on you. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I have a partner, I, but she lives up by you actually so okay but it's not the same yeah. situation you were in where it's like sharing everything and yes yeah so like, yeah i got my life she got hers and, yeah uh, the dishes and, are all yours the yeah, yeah, laundry yeah. is all yours i am like you know people are like oh how do you write so many songs i'm like i don't do dishes yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, don't come over but yeah it's it's hard for me to to actually practice meditation outright yeah. in the traditional form but I think the the workout stuff, as much as people look at it and think, oh, that's difficult and painful, whatever, I'm like, nah, I yeah. mean, this is gets me out of my head, gets me yeah. present. Uh, so um, you got to find the things in your life that help you level out in that way. And, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're getting down to the end here. I have one last, well, two last questions. The okay. last one's a silly one, but the question I'm going to ask every, every guest at uh, the end is, whether you believe in anything, any afterlife or anything, spirituality doesn't really matter. But if you were to die today, what would you miss most about 
being here in this multiplicity of this reality? I mean, I think it's the moments of connection. Mm. Um, almost like moments of self-forgetting, except, I don't know, I guess that's when I feel the most alive. Um, and, and I was out on the island last weekend just for a day. Yeah. Um, I was, I was up in Virginia and my girlfriend had to work. So I yeah. took her car and I came down to hang out with my family and we went and I got to go surfing. So, nice. you know, and so I'm not, I don't even just mean moments of connection with people. That's yeah. important. And, and those certainly, sure. Uh, top the list, I think. But even, I mean, I don't get to go surfing a whole lot anymore. I live in central Texas. Yeah. And just, I remember just those feelings in my youth of just sitting on the board yeah. the waves and just looking for the next wave. And it, there's something Zen about that where Absolutely. I've just felt like, you know, it's a meditation. You're, yeah. You, your legs are in the water, your body's in the sun and you just feel connected to the world. Yeah. And I feel that way, like going hiking and, I, and you see, um, a great view. Uh, I always think of Aldous Huxley's book Island. Have you ever read that one? Uh, no, but I need Ooh. to read some Huxley. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good one. But there's a big a, there's Ram Dass a, fan, and he loves to talk about Aldous Huxley's psychedelic journeys. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that in that book. But there's also just like the spiritual. Uh, I'm thinking of a moment where they're looking at a painting of like a valley, and it's a meditation on like how small, but how connected we are, and that's like yeah. a spiritual. And, you know, I feel that a lot when I'm out in nature. Yeah. And um so I like to do outdoor stuff a lot. And uh yeah. and you know, the human connection and the and the you know, like the connection with animals and sure. I, I mean those are the things that they they just they deliver you in the Absolutely. Moment. And um so I mean I could say sensory experiences and all that, of course. but but I don't know. I think at the end of it, ultimately all those things just give you a connection with the world being kind of miraculous. I mean, it's, it's a mess, but yeah, you get these moments of real bliss. So yeah, I think, I think that would be it. just moments of connection. Epic. Yeah. You know, cause I think we limit ourselves. If you, th if you just think of connection as like me and this person or like me and my right. partner, right. it's like, yes. And everything else because yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if you just put you and that person in a white room for eternity, you would, claw each other's faces off <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so we're so like inseparably connected to every single thing in our reality and it is like the most beautiful part of everything and it's the most tender and uh suffering inducing part too but adult it's, it's like without that contrast what would it be you know i guess it would just yeah. be nothing and i have um watched both of my grandparents lose the other right they, they, both of my grandparents' families, like both sides of my family, married 50 plus years till death. Wow. But to see the one tending to the other in the darkest hour. Yeah. You know, they're losing this person they built a life with, but it was right. really beautiful. Like it was, mm. that was a, that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not like a overtly spiritual person, but there's sure. something spiritual in witnessing that. Well, it's a practice of unconditional love that is so yeah. Now, granted, they had years where you know, yeah, the unconditional love it was not pretty, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, to see people go the distance like that, and um, and in the face of loss, mm. just be there, yeah, that was like 
Yeah, I mean, how could anything be more important than connection? I don't know. Mm. That's, well what those, said. that's what those moments taught me, I think. Yeah. Well, that's like, it's only the second answer we've gotten so far, but it's, if not equally as good, it's amazing. <laughs> With that said, the last question I have to ask you is my friend who I told you, I told her I was going to be interviewing. She's, she's a big metal, hardcore, punk, emo listener. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be interviewing this guy. She looked up your Instagram. She's also vegan too. Okay. It's actually a funny story because shout out Leah, if you're listening, I know you're going to because I'm going to tell you that you're in it. Um, (laughs) Her and I met on a dating app and uh, it was like Hinge or whatever it is where you have to like comment on something of somebody's. And she had a picture holding up a a fish. And I was Mm -hmm. like, why though? (laughs) You know, (laughs) do you really have to do that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I was, this was like, I think three months into my vegan journey. So I'm like okay. literally the biggest asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, phase, yeah. you know, she like commented back and was like, oh yeah, you know, like it's just a hobby. And then I started talking to her like, well, veganism, you know, it's cool too. <laughs> and she was actually like, you know, actually I've been in this phase of like realizing that and like realizing that my choices aren't aligning with my values. And so I was just this like random stranger that kind of popped in and was like the little catalyst she actually needed to talk about like meeting at that tide line. Like I'm not saying that I'm the person she was already Mm -hmm. on her own journey, but Mm -hmm. um, it was another step to like, if I wouldn't have said that, maybe not would have happened as quick. So it was cool. We became like immediate, just like besties. And now, you know, we talk about vegan stuff and all that. Um, But she, was scrolling your Instagram and she wants to know what happened to Finny the kitten. Oh, Finny got adopted to uh, a family with a little boy who just is like, they became best friends. Nice. Yeah. Um, She'd be happy to know that. Yeah. Very happy ending there. So Finny was, yeah, that was one of the most affectionate cats I ever met. She was like obsessed with me. So cute. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, I have three dogs. Um, My girlfriend has three cats. And so, Oh, you're like the Brady Bunch of pets. Yeah. Uh, you know, she will foster on a, or she was fostering back then before she got a third cat. But uh, yeah, it was like I was inclined to be like, I love this cat. Why don't you keep it? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> but, how that is. Uh, <laughs> but but Finny didn't get along perfectly with her other cats. Okay. So yeah, she cats can be fickle. She, yeah. Like she that. got a third cat recently as a boy cat that, um, gets along better with her boy cats. Okay. And, and Finny's happy. So it's all. Finny is happy. Finny is, uh, <laughs> she's a personality that she wants all the intention on her. Right. So she, she, I, she I mean, makes a good only cat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and then to have a, like a little boy who's just like, you know, obsessed yeah. with her and think she's the coolest. Like it's, it's, it worked out pretty perfectly. So it yeah, was so happy. And hear that Leah Finney is happy. <laughs> yeah. Very. Yeah. My dog is the same way. He is an only dog all the way. <laughs> like, and he was a foster failure within like seven hours. Mm-hmm. I like brought him home. I'm like, I'm broke. I'm like 2021 <laughs> and I'm like have dog fever and I'm like, yeah, I'll just foster. I'll get it out of my system, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then like, Five hours later, the uh, they called me and they were like, "Hey, somebody is interested in adopting Bear." I was like, "Over my fucking dead body!" Right, right. <laughs> and so he, here he is. He's going to be twelve this year. So, yeah, nice, good stuff. Foster failures are not. Yeah, really I got a three. Failure. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, dude, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you for Yeah, man. Good conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing everything. I'm glad the audio worked. I hope it did. God, yeah. we're going to find out soon <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let's just remind people that you've got music out there under many monikers. Yeah. You know, if you want to go ahead and shout them out. I, I Die can't. Young, Tooth and Claw. Um, Tooth and Claw is my band with Scott from Earth Crisis. Um, band of Mercy, if you want some like vegan humor. Uh, yes. Mainlanders got like, you know, the, uh, the folk covers um, kind of metalized or punkified and then uh what was my oh and uh you know i play guitar in a band called will to live is like really heavy so if you like really heavy metal stuff like sepultura or crowbar or hatebreed it's uh we got a new album that's gonna go to press any day now like we're working on a deal for an lp and uh, what's the name of that album yeah oh and this is a cool thing so um you know will to live is like one of the og houston hardcore bands from the late 90s and i started playing guitar for them in like 2011 and Rad. we did one album in 2013 called Old Habits Die Hard. But we're, you know, most of the guys in the band are dads. We don't tour anymore. Yeah. We just play for fun. Um, but the new album is called The Therapy Sessions. And Amazing. every song is about like telling the tales of some kind of survivor or somebody in therapy. Oh, I fucking love it. And that. so it's like really heavy music, but it's telling like these really gritty tales of people's yeah. inner inner lives. And um uh I'm really proud of it. Uh, this recording came out amazing. So if you like heavy stuff, like yeah, it's I, and, and it's singing about really, um, you know, our singer Rob. He likes to say mental health is the real pandemic. So yeah, that's absolutely. that's what informed this album. That'll come out, you know, with the way vinyl takes a long time right now. I don't know if it'll come out this year, but uh, you're probably right in line behind Adele. Yeah, so it might be next year before it sees the light of day. I hope not, but. We're, we're trying to get it out as soon as we can. Well, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I did do some digging. Uh, I did some preemptive, you know, listening. Well, the first time I ever heard Die Young, just a quick story, is uh, Ryan told me, dude, my, my brother's in this band, and they're on Tony Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> that's, of course, that's, yeah. Well, that's which one was the it? Was biggest it a, streaming hits of all our songs. The one Right? Was Tony it Tony Hawk. Hawk Underground? Project 8. Project Eight, yes. Yeah. And so, like, I went straight to the game, and I'm like, pull up the music thing, and I'm like, hit that song. I'm like, fuck yeah, I know this guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The geez, that was like 2006, man. Yeah, shout out Tony yeah. Hawk. But yeah. uh, um, so I did some preemptive listening. I was actually up at the pool, you know, the beach club where my family runs. I'm like listening to Will to Live, and my sister's like, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> You're like. <laughs> Doing cannonballs and you're like, I'm yeah. great. <laughs> great edge, Alyssa. <laughs> no, but it's it, I mean, it's awesome. It's all good stuff. And I, now that you know, this this album sounds amazing. The therapy sessions. I've really inspired to hear about that. So and then uh, you know, if you want for one more time for the listeners, you want to say about your books and other Yeah, you know, uh, The Way of the Vegan Meathead, Eating for Strengths. Now in the second edition, it's uh pretty much an ultimate guide to vegan protein and supplementation for um, if you're going to be an athletic vegan, especially a strength oriented vegan, uh, that's at veganmeathead.com, daniel-austin.com or Amazon. Awesome. And, um, you know, and then I've got other books and I, I would just say, check out daniel-austin.com. If you want to see all the music, all the books, all the music videos, um, yeah. a little overview of what I do with the vegan meathead enterprise, like all that's on daniel-austin.com. So. 
Sweet. Well, we'll have all those links for anybody who wants to check it out. And it's been a pleasure, man. I hope Likewise. you crush all your upcoming lifts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, my next competition is in October in uh, New Jersey. Oh, sweet. Well, yeah. I would oh, say that's, a, that's another thing to look up. I'm on an yeah, international yeah. athletic team called Plant Built, just like the premier vegan uh, athletic team. And we're competing at a big fitness convention in um, New Jersey in October. So plantbuilt.com is another one to check out. And uh, on like Instagram, it's at plantbuilt. We've got bodybuilders, powerlifters, uh, CrossFit, kettlebell, sport. Uh, we got like sub teams on our international sweet team. So that's awesome. Uh, if you're looking for vegan athletes of like different sports, like whatever you're into, yeah, like read their bios and figure out like how to apply, you know, um, their approaches to help you on your journey. Then uh, that's yeah. that's really what Plant Build is about. Awesome. Yeah. Between that and the way of the vegan meathead, I think uh, you'd be pretty set to be yeah, we got you crushing your, I don't know the words. What is it? PKs or something? I don't know. PRs. PRs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Crushing those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel, man. It's been a pleasure, dude. I hope you have a good rest of your weekend and much love, dude. Likewise, man. Thank you. All right. See you next time. All right, y'all. That concludes episode three of the podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And go look for Daniel Austin in all the various mediums that he has going on out there. Daniel-Austin.com is a great place to see everything he has to offer. Also, we'll have all those links in the podcast notes. So if you want to just go there, that's a place to see it. And to play us out, I'm going to send you out with a song from Daniel's solo project, Mainlander. This is Daniel's interpretation of To Bring You My Love by PJ Harvey. Here it is. To Bring You My Love by Mainlander. Mainlander.